0: Welcome to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Greg, how's it going? As usual, Russ. I am in the mood, in the groove. I am ready for this show. <laughs> well, I noticed you named one of our shows "In the Groove," so that that's that was really cool to me. I, I like that, that. one. That
1: was top of little mind. Madonna. Hopefully, yeah, uh, everybody Madonna, enjoyed that show. If you haven't listened to it yet, go back, listen to "Into the Groove." It's one of yes. a, a
0: fascinating I like that one. show. Yeah. Fascinating. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was awesome, and we got to dance a little in the show. Found well, out that's, that's why the, that show was
1: so yeah. much fun because we got the dance, <laughs> and we realized we found out why the dancing really gets us going on our show. At the start of every show, I do my dance, and now I understand why it helps me. Right. So, if, if, right. if, if you, you don't dance before every podcast, it's probably not going to be a good podcast.
0: Shame on you, right? You know, yep. it's like, come yep. on, you knew you needed to do it. Yeah, the fun <laughs> one the, the random thing that came up about that one was the Batman uniform as well. Like that, that one right there. <laughs> we're giving you guys enough clues where now you have to go listen to this show. Uh, because yeah, it was a that was a good one for sure. Today we've got another good one, Greg.
1: Absolutely. We have Mark Hirschberg with us. Mark is a CTPO, he's an MIT instructor and the author of the Career Toolbook. Oh, I'm sorry the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Mark, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd
1: love for you to kind of share some of your background on what you've done in the past, because it's fascinating, and I don't want you to uh, ignore how you track criminals on the dark web. That's the part that just got me. So please share.
2: (laughs) Well, I've done a number of things throughout my career. I came out of MIT in the 90s during the dot-com era as a software engineer and wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. So I began working primarily at startups. And throughout my career, I have done media and lead gen, and online advertising. I've done a lot of cybersecurity, including tracking terrorists and criminals on the dark web. I've built labor marketplaces. I've built video marketplaces. I've helped a couple Fortune 500s launch their own startups. And I started two teaching programs, one at MIT and one at Harvard Business School. And at MIT, I've been teaching there for the past 20 some years as well, in addition to my work as a CTPO, a Chief Technology and Product Officer. So I've had this wonderful dual career. Wow.
1: <laughs> How did you do all that? <laughs> so I've never felt like an underachiever until right now. I know. Thank you so much, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's amazing. One, one of the things that uh, you know, we wanted to really dive into is you have a really good philosophy on you know, interviewing techniques. Um, through all of your background and I think you know probably through some of the tracking you've done on the dark web and you've had to interview people you've had to <laughs> hire people it, it, in so many different roles you've had, um, you've really developed a, a, a great technique for interviewing people. I'd l- like to share some of that information with us.
2: Sure. Now I mentioned I've been a CTPO, so I run technology engineering teams, but typically when I join a startup I join early on, and they bring me on because they're going through a growth phase, and we need to hire lots of people. I have hired hundreds of people. I have interviewed, I'm sure, well north of 1,000. I don't know if it's hit 2,000 yet or not. I've definitely seen probably 5,000-plus resumes, so I've been through this process a lot, and also occasionally as a candidate. And something that I realized over the years, in addition to all the skills that we've talked about in the book, and those skills in the book come from surveys we've done of companies where they say these are the skills we want to see, they've hinted at interviewing skills, but they usually talk about from the candidate side. But in fact, we rarely, if ever, talk about from the hiring manager side. And the way I think of it, imagine if you said to your 16 year old kid, okay, you're 16 now. You're ready to drive, so here are the keys to the car. You've been in a car before. You've seen this done. You know what gas pedal does in turning. So you get the idea. Here you go. Here are the keys. Best of luck to you. Try not to hit anyone. Now, we would never do that (laughs) with our children. And yet, what do we do when we bring someone onto the company? Hey, you've been in an interview before, right? Okay, yeah, you know how this works. So here's a resume. Go sit in the room. Try not to kill anyone. And we just turn people loose with no training, right after we say, well, people are our most important asset. If it's so important, why aren't we putting any emphasis into how to properly select them? And so that has been a huge miss. And if you go to your companies, even if you go to the executive teams and say, who here has had any formal training? You're gonna get blank stares. So we need to be better. At teaching people how to be intentional in our interviews and better in our selection process.
0: You know, sometimes I wonder, and 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 especially now with what you just said, I wonder how many bad like interviews I did where you know I was trying to interview somebody and I was just bad, but I put that and projected that on them and didn't hire them because I I just wasn't trained. I didn't know what I was doing.
2: One of the best offers I got, or the offer itself wasn't the best, but it was the easiest interview. I sat down. And the person started talking. I maybe said 300 words the entire interview. I just sat there and this guy just talked and talked and talked. He loved that interview. We talked about all his favorite subjects, the company and the job and what he thinks of it. Great interview. And so he wanted to hire me because what a great impression I made. I didn't tell him a damn thing and he wasn't aware of the fact that I didn't contribute to the conversation. That was a horrible interview on his part. Yeah.
1: I wonder if he appreciated the fact that you listened well.
2: That That's a good point, and that <laughs> is an important skill, but that shouldn't be the only skill you're measured
0: on. <laughs> <laughs> you <interesting>. said hello <laughs> and yes, I'll take the job. That was, that was literally your, your entire
2: script for the uh, interview. <laughs> that, that's really all you need. The rest is just filler. <laughs>
1: It's it's interesting because I'm thinking back of of you know the hundreds of interviews that that I've conducted over the years and I tend to go with a style of trying to build a little rapport so that they open up a little bit more like they feel a little more comfortable so I really get to understand their true personality and it's not you know a rigid um uh, a rigid interview and I wonder if and I've heard I've heard theories that that's not the way to go I've heard theories don't make them feel comfortable. So you get a sense for if they're, you know, how do they handle uncomfortable situations? Because especially, let's say, in a sales position, you're going to be dealing with uncomfortable situations, you're going to be dealing with objections. And I'm just curious how you guys feel about
2: that. It depends on the nature of your organization, because the interview process should be selecting the person for what they're doing. I'm going to draw an analogy here. We often look at the person who wins the presidency in the U.S. is the person who runs the bearer campaign. But running a campaign is very different than running a country. And it's unfortunate that our process for one is this other, which isn't necessarily the best proxy or metric. Now, at one of my companies, I used to do something that the founders thought was a little rude. I remember we were trying to hire a VP of finance, and one of the things I did is I said, I'm gonna hit you up with a bunch of questions. I would just go boom, 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 rapid fire questions. And the founders thought, oh, you're, you're giving them a bad impression, that's not how you should interview. And it's true, I'd rather not interview that way. However, what the founders didn't appreciate, their style of management, normally you have an executive team or a leadership team gets together once a week for your weekly updates. They put 20 of us in a room for a one-hour meeting for weekly updates. What did that mean? That meant you got at best three minutes and often far less to give your update, to convey your message. You had to be in this rapid fire situation. And that's one of the things I needed to see is could they, when they're engaged in this type of leadership meeting or when they talk to the founders who were always, you caught them for two minutes and then they had to move on, could they engage in that type of behavior? And that's why I interviewed that way. It wasn't necessarily pleasant. It wasn't something that even the candidates enjoyed, but you know what? If they don't enjoy it, this was probably not the company for them because that's unfortunately the style of work that was set by these founders.
0: I, I, I'm thinking for for me, uh, I I, I kind of like to pull them away from the uncomfortable situation a little bit. For for me, like I I, I like to throw them off a little bit with questions that are, you know, what did you have for breakfast or, you know, something along those lines or, you know, Oh, Hey, do you have any animals? <laughs> like just something random that is going to completely throw them off. Because what I want to see is what they're like when they're not rehearsed. Cause everybody knows the, Oh, you know, um, uh, why should I hire you? Uh, where are you going to see yourself? Or, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Like they know those questions and they've rehearsed them over and over. I want to see what they are on their feet, you know? So I, I like to go a little bit, different. And I sometimes do that interspersed with just regular questions. So it's like regular question, crazy question, regular question, crazy question. I'm calling them crazy questions, but it's like, you know, non-typical questions we'll say. And it's because also, you know, the, the jobs that I've hired for have been sort of like, well, you got to focus on this, then you got to turn to this, then you got to do this. Then, you know? So you're moving all over the place. So it's also sort of a, a representation of what the job's going to be. And that way I can see how they're going to perform later in, in a way. But I, I, I've always felt like it's really hard. It's really hard to, to do an interview and figure out like, is this the right person? Well, what so I that's, I that's, that's
2: a great point.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Mark. One of the things I noticed that, that, you know, in witnessing Russ interview people is a lot of times he's looking for somebody that, especially when it's a role that's going to report to him, he's looking for somebody that's going to be able to have that chemistry with his personality. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like, you know, Uncomfortable, and then laughter, and then you know, question, and like he kind of rolls through the different types of situations that might occur, and he's he's investigating and exploring whether okay, could I work with this person in this role?
2: Totally, (laughs) yeah, yeah. This is what you want to do, and it's important to be intentional about it. Now, to your first point of hitting them up with lots of different questions. If it's the nature of the role is that, as you noted, they're going to jump from one task to another, it's very important to see how do they handle that. Or if you see someone who just seems super polished in a way that feels very rehearsed, you want to try and throw them off their game to see that's great when you're polished. Can you behave and respond when you're not following your script? Right. On the other hand, you might have a role where you say, This is it. Like That's all you have to do is follow the script, maybe a customer service rep, or maybe you say, you're doing the same thing day after day. I don't have to hit you up with different questions. In fact, that's not what the job is about. I might ask you the same question 17 different ways to see if you can handle that because that's what you'll be doing. So we want to be intentional. These are the right things to do, and we just need to align it. Now, the other Mm -hmm. thing that you've done there that's really important is to recognize there's a lot of things that we don't always put into the job description. And I think they should, at least some of them, should go in the job description. But one of the things, for example, you were looking for is someone who has chemistry with you. Now, we think, oh, well, don't we always want that? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. If it's very important and we think, for example, an executive and the executive assistant You need that type of chemistry. A CMO who I worked with, a chief marketing officer once said, it's very important that the CMO understands the voice of the CEO. And you have to mesh that way. A a script writer, certainly for senior executives, you need that kind of meshing. For me, for some of my folks, when I hire an engineer, we don't have to mesh. If you can do a good job, we can communicate effectively. That's fine. We don't have to be friends even, as long as we get along professionally. And, but it's important to be intentional and say, what is it we're looking for? And then how do I assess that during the interview process? Right.
0: Well, I, you know, I, the other thing is it's okay. It's chemistry with me, but it's also, I know that I have good chemistry with my team. So is this person going to, you know, be a disruption for my team and kind of break up that, you know, it's like, it's a family. You know, in in many ways, right? And you're bringing in, you know, oh, let's invite over the uncle that nobody wants to see. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you don't want that feeling either. So I always try to figure that out too. Is this person going to work with the chemistry and the and the balance of the team to make not just the the work get filled, but also, you know, like because that's okay. A lot of people can do that, and you know, but it, are they going to fit in with the team? And 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 are is the team going to get along with them and want to work with them? You know, because once you get kind of that, you know, the the bad seed in the team, it's it, it it can cause a lot of issues, and then you're losing people that you don't want to lose because you know now you've you've made a bad decision bringing somebody
2: in. So let's look at two opposite examples for that. One might be you have a team where everyone's worked together for a long time. Everyone is a friend of everyone else. They're the type of group that they go away together on weekends and they do retreats and they hang out at barbecues each other's houses. And you have that close-knit team and they've been this way for years. When you're bringing in that outsider, it's like bringing in an impurity because if this outsider says, look, I'm just the type of guy, I want to show up, do my job, go home, best of luck to the rest of you. I don't want to see you outside of work it will ruin some of that chemistry. And that yeah. chemistry may matter on the team. And people say, ah, he just doesn't feel like he's part of it. He's not gelling. And the whole team, you have that impurity. Now, on the other hand, suppose you have a team where people just aren't into conflict. They don't like to disagree. Mm-hmm. Everyone likes each other, but really there probably should be some more disagreements raised. Bringing in someone who will speak up, who causes a little friction, bringing in that, impurity, to use this analogy, can actually be helpful. In the same way, if you take iron and drop a little bit of carbon in there, you get steel, which is much, much better in terms of strength. So you might want to alter the culture a little and get these different people in there. And that can be a benefit or it could be harmful depending on where you are and where you're trying to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you could bring in a diversity of voices.
2: And, and, you know,
0: different different ideas coming in, different ways of doing things. And that's, that's
2: always a good thing as well. In the book, I talk about mental diversity, not to take away from traditional diversity, which is very important, but mental diversity of just how we think about things differently, how we approach things differently. And I think that's really important to think about as we build our teams.
1: Yeah, I, I wanna go into that a little bit more. Uh, we do need to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the mental diversity and and how an interviewer kind of prepares uh, for that type of an interview to find that right person. So let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with Mark Hirschberg. And we're back with that DIY for Business with Russ and Greg. We're interviewing Mark Hirschberg the author of the career toolkit and before the break we we're talking a little bit about kind of mental diversity and how you look for that with uh, different candidates and and what I want to actually get into is also how do you prepare for that interview how do you how do you prepare to get that out and identify whether this person is going to be able to bring that mental diversity to your team
2: it begins by understanding what do you mean by this mental diversity? What do you have and what are you you looking for? And I'm going to give a somewhat contrived example, a little extreme, but it will illustrate it. I'm not saying this is exactly how we should always think of it. Let's imagine a team of very creative people. And they're wonderful at those right brain, creative ideas and new ideas and really innovative. And wow, I never would have thought of something like that. But often those people, often not always, but we're going to kind of use a stereotype for illustrative purposes, they're not known to be the most organized, the most detail-oriented. And so you have this team that's really creative, but they're always missing deadlines. They're always coming up with something brilliant, but wait, that might not be totally practical when we think about how we have to actually do that down the road. And so you have this hyper-creative team but they're held back by the fact that they don't necessarily work well with the rest of the organization because of these little process issues. That team might say, you know, we're better off bringing someone who might not be quite as creative as the rest of the team, but this person is better at keeping us a little more organized, keeping us on task, thinking through the details. They're still a creative person. I don't mean, well, they're the one project manager on the team. They might be a creative person as well, but their thinking's a little more process oriented. And so you want to bring that into the team. Now, if that's the case, you then say, okay, during this interview, we want to look over your portfolio. We want to see what you've done, but let's also talk about how you did, how you think through, how do you stay on schedule? How do you take into account the needs of the rest of the organization? So you want to be intentional in what you're looking for. And I'd go even further for that. For a lot of my interviews, I'm looking not just at what they're saying, but how they are saying it. And if I'm looking for that process oriented person, I want to see some logic and organization in their answers and not just some rambly story where they kind of talk about this and then they go over to that. And well, we did this and oh, well, we wound up over here, but a, hey, we started with this, here's what we faced, here's what happened. And this is why.
0: So getting into, uh, Greg's other point there: Prepping for an interview can be difficult. Not, not. I'm not talking about on the the interviewers. Like, on, on the, I'm sorry, I'm talking about on the interviewer side. Like, just getting ready, like just looking at the resume. What what should we be doing? What should we be prepping how, when we're looking at that resume? How do we get ready to interview a candidate?
2: It begins by creating your rubric by which you will evaluate candidates. Now, some of this we've done in the job description. They should have X years of experience with this knowledge of why. Say, okay, well, how do I measure years of experience? I can ask, how many years have you done this? At which jobs? You say you understand why? Let me ask you about why. Okay, that's going to be straightforward. Those are the easy things to measure. But when we think about other things, are they the type of person who will hang out with the team after work? Are they a process-oriented person? We then need to say, how will I determine if the person has that attribute? And you need to come up with questions or challenges or problems or things to ask about on the resume or work history to elicit their capability in that area and then see if it matches up to what you're looking for.
1: When you're reviewing resumes, what stands out to you? Is it their work experience? Is it the roles they've had? Is it the awards they received? What what stands out to you?
2: Great question. And for those who don't know, in case you've never been on this side, most resumes are reviewed for somewhere around eight to 10 seconds. This is data from many different surveys. I can't remember if it was Indeed or LinkedIn, but major companies have done surveys year over year. They found most resumes are initially looked for a handful of seconds. Now, there's a big caveat to this. If it's a role where they're getting one resume every two weeks, they're going to pay a little more attention to it. If you're trying to hire a software engineer right now, you're desperately trying to do that. You say, oh my God, thank God there's a resume. Okay, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to worship the resume, maybe do a little sacrifice to it and hope the candidate comes in. <laughs> However, if you're hiring, for example, a junior marketing person, I've hired VPs of marketing where I will get 80 resumes in a week. And that's in addition to everything else I'm doing as I'm trying to hire this person. So, okay, I don't have a lot of time to look at the resumes. I'll quickly glance through them. I put them into a yes pile, no pile, and a maybe pile. Okay, so yeses don't work out. Generally what I'm looking for is, have they done the major things of this job before? That might mean running a team of this size, taking on a project of the size that we have, achieving similar objectives to what we want to achieve over the next 12 to 24 months. So I'm looking for just that first order fit that they've either done it before, or I see the components to suggest that they can. Okay.
0: (laughs) The junior marketing position, you're getting in a ton of resumes. They have those automated systems to look through uh,
2: resumes. Do you suggest those? I really dislike the automated systems. I get why you need them. And it's because I remember my dad used to apply to jobs by typing up his resume and then photocopying it and putting it in the envelope and sending it off with a cover layer. And now in the time it took him to write two lines on his resume, you can click submit and fire off five job applications. Right. We know you can you can just automate this. And so HR is getting hit with an onslaught of resumes. And so I get why they have to automate some of this. But the downside to the ATS comes from the fact that it does keyword matching. We all know how poor that is for selection, especially as you get to more senior positions. And unfortunately, a lot of HR, I've seen this at small companies, I've seen this at large companies, they don't know what they're hiring for. If they're hiring an accountant, they say, okay, well, I know it should say accounting somewhere on the resume, but they couldn't tell you the difference between a forensic accountant versus some other type of auditor versus someone who worked in the treasury function. Let's go, Mm -hmm. well, accountant and hits one or two other keywords. So I'm going to pass this resume on through. That's what the human people do. And unfortunately, that's what the automated system does as well. What we really want are humans who understand how to read between the lines or who understand it's not just this keyword match. I see this a lot in technology. So have you worked with this database? Okay. Well, they haven't worked with that database, but they worked with the clone. It's like saying we need someone with 10 years of experience at Burger King. You go, oh no, they've only worked at McDonald's. Like,
0: yes, that's yeah. fine.
2: <laughs> but if you yeah. don't know the field or if you're an automated system, you don't understand that. You
1: know, the timing of this interview is so perfect because earlier today, my daughter actually, uh, was, was calling me and, and, She was creating her resume and her cover letter, and we were working together on it. We got to go to another break. I apologize, everybody, because this is I want to just ask this question so badly to Mark, but we're going to come back. (laughs) I'm going to ask this question about cover letters because we're talking about resumes, but a a cover letter could be just as important. So I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back with Mark.
0: Thanks for listening and subscribing to diy for business a part of the best business network on electrocast media if you haven't been to our website yet for the best business network it, it's awesome uh, and I'm not saying that because I put a lot of work into it. I'm saying that because there's fantastic shows on there. Uh, you got to go check out the the newest shows on there. I'm not going to say what they are because we're recording this in advance and then I'll miss somebody and that would be wrong. But you can find out what they are by just heading over to com. Please do go check that out. Now, I, I'm sorry, Greg. I totally interrupted you though. I don't want to, I want to toss it back to you here because you were on a roll. You were talking about your daughter and filling out yeah, like up, a resume, daughter, writing a cover yeah.
1: letter. Yeah, but if anybody sees your resume, they're gonna see the creator of thebestbusinessnetwork.com. dot com. So exactly. Anyway, exactly. Yeah. That's that's
0: going right to the top. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that's why you're gonna to get to your next job just because of that. <laughs> yeah. It is a beautiful website, so people check it out. Yeah. So anyway, earlier today, I was wor- working with my daughter, and she was creating her resume, and she was working really hard on her resume. And I was going, you know, let's take a little bit of time and work on your cover letter because I think the cover letters, when I'm reviewing. Uh, applicants for positions, sometimes the cover letter is really what catches my eye and grabs my attention because I, it, it it allows me to have a little more texture to the person than just kind of the facts about the person. Usually how I look at it is the resume is more about the facts and the, and the cover letter is a little more about the texture and the color of the person. So how do you feel about that? I'm just curious on both of you. Do you, do you even look at the cover letters? Because as you were saying, Mark, sometimes resumes are eight seconds in and out, right? How much time do you spend on the actual cover letters?
2: Usually zero. And now this will vary person to person. Again, if you're getting six candidates for a job, you might look at the resumes as well as the resume, excuse me, you might look at the cover letters as well as the resumes. But when you're getting those 80 resumes, first thing I'm doing is I'm just going through the resumes and saying, is this person a fit? Because if they're not a fit, why do I want to read the cover letter? And the thing is, it's easier to read a resume. This is why we talk about resumes. You should have lists or bullets so we can skim it. We can go to those highlights. If I see a paragraph block of text, as you have in a cover layer, oh, I got to start reading left to right. I got to pull out what's in the middle here. (laughs) I can't do that in eight seconds. So it's only after I filtered people out, then I might go to the cover layer. Now, there are some people who will say, well, if you don't have a cover layer, you're just out. Again, if you're desperate to hire, I can tell you most software engineers don't have cover layers and they don't need them because we're saying, you can code, please come. (laughs) But if you're in, for example, a sales or marketing position, your cover layer is probably especially important. I knew an executive, if the salesperson didn't send a thank you note as a follow-up, that candidate was automatically out. And that makes sense because as a salesperson, follow through is so important. Right. So it really depends on the, the role, the role itself, the competitiveness and who happens to be hiring for it.
0: Yeah. We're, we're in direct alignment there. So I, I go through and I don't read the cover letters at first. I would go through, do the resumes, do the piles. Like you said, the yes, no, maybes for all the yeses. I'm going to generally go through and read the cover letter and, and it doesn't disqualify them if they don't have it, but I, I will do that. Now, if it's, if it's for a writing position and I've hired plenty of writers in the past or something creative like that, like I will definitely read the cover letters just because I feel like it is important for that type of job. And I have hired plenty of people because they followed up multiple times, right? Like they're on it more than I am. And I'm like, shoot, I I need this person because they're going to be on it here. So I love people that follow up after an interview, not to the point of where it's annoying, you know, like you got to walk that line, but I think it's it's very important. I too actually my my daughter is applying for her first ever job at a at a boba tea place, right? So she's just turning 16 and she wants to work at this place and I said, "Well, go in, talk to them." And they actually let her do a little trial to see if she liked it and get to know her a little bit because she's always buying, I don't know. I've I, I've spent most of my money at that boba tea place because of her. But um <laughs> she goes in and tries it out and then afterwards I'm like, "Okay, Send them a text message because that's how she's been communicating with them to say thank you. In three or four days, do a follow up and just say, Hey, just, just was thinking about the job. Really thank you. want to, would love to follow up, would love to hear from it. And then, you know, stop in at some point if you're really, really interested. And I think that's totally fine. And I think it's good. And it shows that you really care. You have the desire for that position. So, like, even in that, I think it's important, and let alone in higher level positions. It's, it's important as well.
2: And you brought up something important there. You said to her, send that thank you by text. Now, I certainly wouldn't when I'm applying to an executive job. Totally. Just send it by text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it is very appropriate for what she's doing here. Because she's probably getting hired by someone only a couple years older than her. Yeah, exactly. And that generation, (laughs) they live on text messages. The job itself isn't so formal. Dear sir or madam, I would like to serve at Boba Tea. So you do want to match your style of engagement to what's appropriate to the culture and the person who's hiring you.
1: Now, Mark, we've been talking a lot about interviewing and what uh, you know you should be as an interviewer, but your book has so much more in it. Obviously, you know the essential skills for success that no one else taught you. Talk a little bit about more about the book and what's included besides just you know the interviews, just a bit a small piece of what you have included in the book.
2: That's just one of ten chapters. So the book itself, ten chapters, again it's based on surveys we've done at MIT, surveys at other universities of corporations, of companies, asking them, what are the skills you are looking for? Not just of recent college graduates, but of anyone. What are the skills you want to see in the next century? And they came up with roughly 10 skills. And so they're broken down into three sections as follows. Section one, careers, how to create and execute a career plan. Chapter two is on working effectively, understanding your office culture, office politics, learning how to manage your manager. Chapter three is interviewing, and it's mostly focused from the hiring side. There's a little bit from the candidate side, but I focus more on the hiring side because you can find that candidate stuff elsewhere. Plenty of that on the internet. The second section, leadership and management, there is a chapter on leadership, and then two chapters on management, one on the people side of it, One focuses on the process aspect of management. And these chapters, by the way, are not just for people with certain senior level titles. These are the skills that you can apply day one, even as the most junior person, because all of us need to lead and manage, even if that's not in our title or set of formal responsibilities. The third section, interpersonal dynamics, that has four chapters, communication, networking, negotiation, and ethics.
0: What is, what is this ethics thing? Oh, no, I'm kidding. Uh,
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how many companies, although they put it on the list, it does seem to be on the bottom for many of them.
0: <laughs> so um, tell us a little about your
2: website. Yeah, the website's not just your standard author website. By the way, here's my book. Go buy it. Yes, you can do that. Please do. But you can also (laughs) follow me on social media and get in touch with me or see more content I put out in the blog, for example, because it's not just the book. There's more content. There is the free app available from the Android and iPhone store linked from the website. Because when you read a book like mine, too often you read it, you say, okay, this is great. And then you forget two weeks later. My job is to make sure you remember it. And you change and act and improve and find more success. So I want you to retain it, and the free app helps you do that. It's like a daily affirmation, but with content from the book, it pops up something you've read to help keep it top of mind. You don't even have to open the app. It does so with this passive push to your phone. And then there's the entire resources page. Now, there I link to other free online resources if you want to go deeper on some topics, I have a number of free downloads. The first is how to create these peer learning groups at your organization. If you want to learn these skills, great, even better. If you can get your whole organization to learn these skills, make everyone more effective, and that first download helps you do it. There's questions to help you plan your career, questions to ask during interviews. So lots of great resources, and they link to other books I recommend if you want to go further on topics or ones that I reference in mine. All of this is on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com.
1: I highly recommend everybody to go and check out the website. Definitely buy the book. It's uh, it's really well laid out. Uh, you know, Mark talked a little bit about how he has three sections, but it totally makes sense how this book is laid out and it flows into each chapter. So, I highly recommend um, getting the book and. What's the best way for somebody to find the book? Is it on all the all the different?
2: All the usual places. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you want to support your local bookstore, when you go to the buy button on the website, you can then select. Do you want to go to a major place like Amazon or Barnes & Noble? Or you can go to the smaller places like Books A Million or IndieBound and find some local bookstores and support oh, them cool. as well. Oh,
0: that's cool. That's nice. Yeah, I like
2: that That's really that. Cool.
1: We're, we're always into supporting the little guys out there too. So
2: Oh,
0: yeah. I love that.
1: It's, it's really neat that you do that. Thank you so much for being with
0: us today. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business, a part of the Best Business Network on Electrocast Media. The subjects that we cover on this podcast are selected with the goal of helping your business grow. All of the information provided is opinion-based, and you may want to consult a professional to discuss your exact business situation. Greg and I, well, you know what? We're we want you to succeed, and we want to be here for you in whatever way we can, and specifically we would like to learn about you and what you would like the show to be about. Yeah, if you've got a suggestion for a future episode, just head over to our website, diyforbusinesspodcast.com and make those suggestions. Uh, if you've got a business problem, a unique situation that you need some help with, well, hey, we could do a whole show around it. So please do head over to our website and tell us more about that. We also love talking to business owners. So if you'd just like to join us on a show, you can do that on our website. Also, we thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone.
2: Hi, this is Megan Kane,
0: And this is Jason Zook.
2: And we're the hosts of Psychic Visions podcast.
0: Have you ever experienced deja vu or wonder what life after death is like? Or maybe you walked into an old building and got goosebumps or chills down your spine. Chances are, you're having spiritual experiences without even realizing it. Our show will cover a variety of topics from astral projection, to UFOs, manifestation,
2: to the power of positive thinking and even healing energy. If this resonates with you, then this is your sign from the universe to check out our show.
0: Find us where all podcasts are available.
2: Psychic Visions. More than meets the eye.
0: Electric Electrical. Electric ass.